Welcome to Growth Mindset University. My name is Jordan Paris, 21-year-old author and host of this show. And with this show, you and I will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not, so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our vision of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. All right, my guest today is Jed Collins, a seven-year NFL veteran who played for the New Orleans Saints, turned certified financial planner. And let me geek out for a second here, Jed. I had... Okay, so I had every Madden from 2000 to 2016 when I decided like to take my life seriously <laughs> and I stopped and I got rid of video games. It was the same game or no, that's not. It's just, you know, I knew that it was the yeah. same game, but okay. here's the, but you needed the updated rosters. True. That's all because I played, Respect. you know, I played franchise and I would do like 20 year franchises and I just needed all the new rookies I like so it. that I could plug, so that I could plug in like the rookie quarterback. Yeah. that I that I loved at the time and and just build a franchise around. So I had every Madden from 0 to 16 and that was always my favorite game, one of my first games and you know so I I knew I knew Jed Collins, I knew no. Jed the fullback. No. I swear yeah. to god, dude, I knew every player, every stat, like I got it. I swear to god. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, well, that is truly that was like a, a, a passageway, like a point of pride. It's like you you made it on the Madden game. That's legit. But then it came out, then it comes down to like what you were rated on the Madden game. And it's kind of, it's a little embarrassing. Uh, but you <laughs> see these guys who are like 99 speed and you're like, I wonder what it would be like to be the 99 guy. Like, I, I just don't even know how that feels. I got to play with a couple of them, but I, I we like the non 99 group always looked at that and are like, what if the world thought you were one point away from being perfect? Like, that's weird. You were so. Who were the ninety nine speeds like? And did they live up to that Madden hype? Uh I remember Jamal Charles. I think got a ninety nine speed. Mm-hmm. If not, uh, oh shoot, what was the running back for the Titans? Was a ninety nine speed? Oh, Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson was ninety nine yeah. speed. And so yeah, you see those guys, and you see them like take a sweep, and you're like, oh, that play's not going to hit the corner, and then they just do, and you're like. Yeah, that's that's not and that then like everybody on the sidelines is like that's ninety nine like that's ninety nine out there. So, so that's really that's really a thing. Like oh, people yeah. people kind of people kind of take stock in that. Totally. I mean, NFL players are nothing but big kids, and if you think you have every Madden game from two thousand two thousand sixteen, I almost guarantee half the league has everyone uh, and is playing it this morning and probably this afternoon during off season. Man, I really wish I could get back into it and like have a game system, but like I have such an addictive personality yeah. that There's I no- know my life will suffer. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't do, I mean, you look at this stuff, like you, you're productive, you have, you're growing and it's, yeah, there's, it's a prioritization. I, I had to give up my gaming when I started having a wife and kids and it's, it's sad, but you fill it with other uh, other pieces and and try to find other avenues. But every now and again, a couple of college buddies and I will plug it back in and, and crush it for a night or something like that. 
So you have a wife and kids now. Is that after football or was that happening during? So my wife came with me on the journey. She moved out my rookie year. She moved with me for 13 different locations. Uh, I jokingly say she was the beginning of kind of my financial journey uh, because my first big game check, my rookie year from the Cleveland Browns, I took and immediately spent it. Um, and so that was kind of like the breaking point for me, the awakening of, Hey, if I, if I'm going to be this undrafted kid who makes it and is a percentage that gets to look at the game for what it gave me, I can't do stuff like that. That did you spend it on? I was going to say that being said, I bought an engagement ring and we're celebrating our 10th year here in June. So it turned out to be a worthwhile investment, but at the time it was a very poor use of money management. Um, but no, she, she journeyed with me and then. Truly, I remember uh, my one of my last years going into Sean Payton down at the Saints and saying, hey, man, it's kind of free agency. I don't really know what's going to happen. I don't really care. Like, I'm good waiting around, but my wife is like 35 weeks pregnant. And she wants some answers. Uh, and then I got the answer, and it wasn't the one I was looking for. So, so maybe I should have waited. But we had my daughter my seventh year in Detroit. Or she was born in New Orleans, and then we had her for year one in Detroit. Wow, yeah. What's it take to raise a child and um, and maintain a relationship, a healthy relationship, while traveling through the league? It's and ex- all over the place. It's extremely challenging. Uh, truly, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder, or you start to forget. And so, when you're away and you're looking at times and areas to get back together and to get in front of your kids and stuff like that. That's how you know you're headed in the right direction. Um, Truly, though, having the birth of my daughter was kind of that glass shattering within me of knowing I wasn't invincible. Um, I actually wrote an article called The Cocktail Party about the day in Detroit where we were playing the Buffalo Bills. A, A young man got knocked unconscious Uh, And why I call it the cocktail party is a gruesome way where you'd watch film is if you ever knock a guy out, his arms lock up and it looks like he's holding two cocktail glasses. And that's really morbid, but that's just kind of how you had to approach the violence of the game. And as I watched this, this young man get strapped to, you know, the board and and kind of rolled out, uh, I walked to the sidelines and I saw my little four month old daughter with huge pink headphones on and my wife sitting there and it's just that glass shattered. And I was like, I, I love the game. I love what it gave me the opportunity. I love what it kind of instilled in me and what it let it find within myself. But I got to get out of here. I, you know, I did not want to step back on that field. I had a, a reason now to not step on that field. And in my heart and in my head, I knew I could go make money, probably not the same amount of money, but make money doing something else. Um, uh, and so it, it's a weird prioritization and I respect the guys who have families and, continue to give the game their all and then come home and be great dads. I, I love the the counterbalance of that. And that's something that I really try to uh, preach to the young guys is you got to be a warrior. They want to see the warrior, but you can go home and be the poet, the philosopher, the artist, whatever you want to be like, that's, that's a good balance of who you are. And I was always kind of a closet, creative closet artist. So it was a funny character to find out on the field. Do you, you didn't carry the ball, you know, 300, 400 times per year, but do you, but do you, well, there's a good thing because do you ever get concerned still that you're about your head? 
in you know uh, your brain. So yeah, it is a good. You played football your whole life, I assume. Yeah, well, my parents didn't let me play until high school. We were a basketball family. Uh, both my brothers played Division One basketball, so um, I definitely was concerned. I was concerned while I was playing. Again, I'm a big journaler, so I sit and I ponder in my thoughts. Uh, and what I did is I started to meditate. I started to look up ways to regenerate kind of the neuroplasticity within my brain and read books on it, understand what, you know, military veterans, I'm not comparing football to the military at all, but what they went through and some of the, the therapies that got them back at, from a, a brain and a mindset and even little things like taking creatine adds another layer of water around your brain. I went and got the newest helmets with the newest padding and the newest bubbles. As a fullback, I would insert bubbles in certain places in my helmet that I could then repump up. Uh, so I was very conscious of it. And truly, that's why I had to walk away was I, I was concerned with it. Today, though, I think I've done so much to challenge myself, challenge my thoughts, challenge uh, kind of how I'm growing. That, you know, I'm not saying that I didn't put damage on my on my mind, but I think a lot of the the struggles is because guys don't have a, a landmark, a, a goal in sight to be marching towards and they get lost in that stagnation. And I think that's where you really deteriorate quickly is when you don't have a sense of purpose and a sense of identity. So I've really tried to establish both that sense of identity. You know, today it's Jed Finance, not Jed Football. Uh, you know, hopefully one day that identity will change again. But and then it's goals. And so whether it's uh, something at work, something within my family, something uh, I'm working for personally, uh, that is how I've identified my brain. All that being said, I do stand in front of rooms and talk about money and investments. And I do have somebody in the back, like raise their hand and be like, why would I give my money to a guy who's going brain dead? It's like, all right, jerk, uh, leave me alone. But it is a concern and it's something, you know, we won't really know the the true impact of for many years. But as of today, I feel smarter than I ever have. And I don't know how or why. Yeah, sounds like it. So, you know, what are some of the greatest lessons that you learned from playing, you know, such a prime sport, probably the most watched sport in the world at the highest level on, I think at the time, were you on the, the Super Bowl team? I wasn't. I got there the year oh, okay. after. So I got to see oh, all the okay. rings. Uh, I got to hear all the stories, but no, I didn't get to partake. Uh, well, still, you played around some of the best players the best. in the world. Like, you know, Drew Brees, probably the best court, one of the best quarterbacks to ever live. Oh, yeah. And yeah. yeah. Like, what, what are some of these things you learned? So what's beautiful is I, cha I was challenged uh, by my dad to continue to see ways to correlate the game and football off the field. How was I going to take these principles I learned and put them in the corporate room and the boardroom? Um, and I did that. I did that through a friend of a friend asking me to come in and deliver to a sales team. He said, hey, come in. These guys make a lot of money. They, they are hungry, but they don't really have direction. And the one thing an athlete is sound in is routine, is principles, is building it in that process to form habits, to form habits of success. And so I delivered a, a I deliver now a presentation called Rookie to Veteran, and it's kind of rookie survival to veteran success, where I go through ten stories around guys I got to witness. I was very fortunate now to look back and say I got cut by twelve, thirteen teams, but that means I got to go into twelve or thirteen different locker rooms, and each one I found a, a true vet, a pro, eight year, ten year, twelve year, fifteen year guy, and I looked at him and I said, What are they doing? What can I learn? 
Uh, and I, what I love about it is from the beginning, the first principles that be a pro mindset, understanding the difference between confidence and cockiness. It's building trust within your team. And then it's also going out and making plays. The true reality of a pro is they show up and they make plays. They make you learn your name. Uh, but then you go down the line, uh, Drew Brees, I have a great story around his routine and his process and how yeah. he defines success every day. And, awesome. and so he took so much off of his plate in the moment out on the field that it was he was being able to react and, and really read the day and the moment and not worry about the steps 1 to 16 that got him to that point because they were already simulated in, in habitual success. How so? How is he? How is he going about this? What, what routine? So I, I love this story. So I'll share it with you. Um, so what I loved is I was a no name undrafted guy, and I consider myself one of the breakfast clubbers. You know, I got in there at five five thirty every day, much like this morning. You know, I, I get up and I go, I train um, because I had to. I, I had to be the guy who was not going to give you any reason to cut me. I was going to give you every reason to like me and want me around. But the reality was every morning I got there, I'd walk down a dark hallway and I'd walk past the meeting rooms. And the only room that had a light on was the quarterback room. And it'd be Drew in there with the screen on going through film. And sometimes the backup quarterback was in there with him, but he was always in there and he would be sitting with great posture. He'd always sit on the edge of his seat with, yeah. And you're just like, dude, it's 515. Check it out. But he won it. He'd go in, he'd watch a game of film, he'd go get in the hot tub, he'd go get stretched, he'd go get his weights in, then he'd go in the cold tub and he'd go get breakfast. About breakfast time, most of the dudes were just showing up for work. And he would always say that. He said, I love getting to work before the sun comes up. It always made me feel more productive. We'd go out onto the field and it would start with the same throws, the same script, the same stretches, the same routine. And we'd go out and he was the first quarterback I ever saw to do this. In every drill, whether it's seven on seven or team or whatever it is, he would look at his reads and he'd throw the ball to his first read. And then his hands, his body, and his mind would go to his second read, his third read, his fourth read, and down to his check down and his escape. I was usually the like fifth read guy who never really got the ball. So I would do like a little dance and try to make him smile and giggle. But that was my routine. Uh, but it was such a process and so sequenced that I asked him, I said, well, I don't understand. I've never seen a quarterback. I've been around football for 15, 20 years. I've never seen a quarterback do that. And he's like, in the game, in the moment, when we run that play, I want my body to already be routine to go to that second, third, and fourth read. And if you watch him, you see him kind of go through his progressions. But if he wasn't doing that consistently throughout each day and each rep, he would have to be thinking about, all right, on this play, what is my second read? What is my third read? And he has already built that into his routine that he's already on read four by the time he's re he's reading the defense, he's saying, "All right, this is the defense. That that read's gone. This read's gone. Now I'm on my third. And that's it. Was just so beautiful to see greatness in action. And yeah, Drew's going to go down, arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And he is twice the 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 man he is a football player, and he's ten times the leader. Mm. He truly is. You mentioned cockiness and confidence. Now there's definitely a fine line between the two of them. And, of course, don't name names, but did you find that throughout the league, throughout the different locker rooms you went in and throughout the people's careers that you observed, that the cocky players fell out of the league faster? Yes. Yes. Um, mainly because cocky players revolve around rookies. 
rookies, first, second year guys. Those are the cocky ones. And you go into a, a group of veterans, there's very little cockiness. There's very little ego um, because they understand it. They understand the team game of it. And I define it very simply as cocky is an external voice, confident is an internal voice. Uh, who's, who's louder in that messaging? And you see the negative impact that cockiness will have on a team, football being the greatest team sport there is. You, you just, you learn to weed those guys out. And true, there are guys who are unique freak specimen that you say you, you can do and say whatever you please. You're a 99, you're going to stick around. Um, but even those guys, they, they start to kind of pull away from the team camaraderie. And once you're outside of that bubble, uh, you're quickly looking for an exit strategy on, on at least the coaching and the, the front front office are looking for an exit strategy on how to get you out of there. With finance now, would you say that cocky investors are the ones that are, hmm, they end up with the least amount of money at the end of the day? I would because cocky investors to me are true active guessers. They're saying, I got to guess when to buy, when to sell, when to buy again. And that process never ends. And so they're ultimately set up for, for failure. It's like living in a casino all day long. If you don't understand that the game is designed to beat you, you're going to lose it. Um, and so where I define cocky and confidence as money is you got to have the confidence in understanding the, the language. And that's where it really builds into finances. The first step is you have to be confident in what you're doing, where you're going, why you're going there. Then you go to that second step of trust and it says, you know, you got to build trust within your teammates, within your coaches, within the organization. Well, trust and finance is the fiduciary standard. And that's a word I love to say, I love to introduce people to because it shocks me how few people understand what that means. Um, and I have a funny little wait waiter story around how to do suitability versus fiduciary. But Really, defining trust is where that beginning of a pro investor or a pro around your finances is really going to start to take place. Why are you so? Uh, why do you love the idea of letting people know about fiduciaries so much? Why is such an ordinary concept yeah. so exciting for you? Because I I grew my financial journey in the NFL locker room. I started to take it externally. My brothers who have a master's from Berkeley and a Harvard law degree, they asked the big, big dumb jock uh, about money now. But my birthplace was in the NFL locker room. And it was the reality that 70%, 70% of NFL players walk away with nothing but bumps and bruises. And I realized, sure, some of it's on them. They're not educated. They don't know this, nor need, no 21, 22-year-old who gets handed a million-dollar check would know what to do with it. Uh, some of it is frivolous spending. They got posses or whatever you want to call it. They're paying 12 phone bills. You know, true. That's But the biggest piece of why guys go broke is because their advisors take advantage of them because there are predators out there who see opportunity and who have no standard that will eliminate that, that conflict of interest. And that fiduciary principle, sure, there's ways to manipulate it. There's people who sit and say, I'm a fiduciary, I'm a fiduciary, I'm a fiduciary, and then turn their hat to the side and say, now I can sell you something. That, to me, again, you can manipulate anything. But the trust that is supposed to be held with that standard that says your best interest is held first, that, to me, is what everybody assumes somebody handling your money would be. And yet, 
I would say maybe half of America still doesn't understand that that is not the, the principle. That is not the standard people are held to. And so why I love introducing it is I don't care if you're an NFL player, if you're 24 years old or 64 years old, the first question you should ask anybody who's going to touch your money is, are you a fiduciary? And if the answer is no, the second question is, why not? Hmm. Right. What are some other things that you should look for in a good financial advisor, financial planner mm -hmm. like you? Because one of the things that I often think of and something that Robert Kiyosaki would say is, you know, he had, uh, you know, he told an anecdote from the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, where he used to have this financial planner, you know, Robert's all into real estate, mm -hmm. but he used to have this financial advisor that wasn't really, um, you know, that, that didn't, that didn't know anything about that. They didn't share the same love. And so he fired him and found someone that did. Yeah. Right. Um, what are some of the other things besides, you know, are they a fiduciary? right? Mm -hmm. That you would look for in someone to take care of you. Yeah. And that's a great question. One, Rich Dad, Poor Dad changed my life. I read it my rookie year. Uh, so highly wow. recommend Good timing. that. Yeah. And it was, it was, that's an initiative on your part, I'm sure. Totally. So I, I, my off season after my rookie year, my fiance and future wife at the time, we'd go into borders and just walk around and like pick out books and read them. Uh, and we were actually so cheap and bored that we'd kind of just like put the book back and come back the next day and keep reading it. But uh, so uh, that book in and of itself, it just taught me that there was a different language out there. There was a different way to think about money. One I'd never been introduced to. My father was an attorney, very bright man, ran a business, but just didn't know about money. And he was a poor dad. He, he preached education, which is great, but he never taught educating yourself around money. Um, and mm -hmm. I hope to be coming out with a, a similar mindset kind of book around that's like teach me or rich dad, poor dad, which is called teach me money, which is going to be our book coming out this summer. But uh, what I would look for in an advisor is typically three questions. First, why? And we just talked about it. Why aren't you a fiduciary? The second one would be how? How do you get paid? Exact. Give me transparent clarity around where the money is going, where it's coming from, and who exactly are you partnered with besides me that is going to give you funding. And then the last one is what do you do? So that's what you're talking about Kiyosaki's scope of service. His advisor wasn't a real estate guy, so he didn't trust it. He didn't believe in it. I'm a holistic idea thinker that says my objective is to grow not only your net worth, but your, your enrichment and happiness around life. And so that has nothing to do with real estate or investments or anything like that. It has to do with the whole picture and seeing it like that. And so the, the last question I would ask an advisor is, what is your philosophy around creating wealth and managing wealth and protecting wealth, but also around goals? What, what should my goal be with this amount of money? Uh, because you can get so lost in trying to be the smartest person in the room. And that's where big money people really make a difference to say, my stuff is going to go beat that guy's stuff down, you know, Wall Street or down, you know, the next state or there's buildings everywhere. And that's why it's very similar to football in a sense is as a head coach, you got to have an ego. You got to say, I'm going to go out and beat you. Uh, but what you want out of an advisor is, again, that, that trust that a fiduciary brings and that, that lets you know that they actually somewhat care about you. 
How are you getting paid? They should be able to answer this in the most simplistic, straightforward, one sentence way possible. And then what? What are you willing to do? If I buy or sell a home, are you going to talk to me not only about the investment piece, but about the risk management piece, the tax piece, how I should be defining it for my estate? Are you willing to talk to me about my kids going to college as well as my parents going into long-term care facilities? Um, what is your scope of service and where do you begin to use resources like other professionals and what can you actually guide me through and give me advice on? Jed, I am all about creating a masterpiece of art with Mm. your life, literally just designing your life, right? Not just making a living, but designing a life. And so let's paint a picture here. Okay. Okay. Take someone who makes, and I think so a big piece of designing your life is financial intelligence, financial literacy, really important. Let's take someone who makes around the average, say $60,000 per year. What does their life look like at age 60 with financial intelligence, financial literacy? And what does that person's life look like without that financial literacy over the course of their career? Well, I, I love living through stories. And so I'm a big analogy guy and understanding the best way we understand concepts is, is seeing how they work. Uh, and there's the latte example, which is a phenomenal one. Uh, $5 a day for 30 years instead of buying a Starbucks. And I don't like to say a Starbucks is bad because you got to have Starbucks here and there. It's a good start to the day or a warm, you know, kind of feeling in the <laughs> afternoon. But $5 a day will turn into $343,000. And that right there depends on your understanding of that eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. But what I love to say- If, even, if you, holy crap, hold on, yeah. 300, right. That, so yeah. that's the, those are the potential, like, if you invested it, that's if what you If you invested $5 a day for 30 years at 10% interest, uh, which historically the S&P has returned 98 uh, you would get $343,000. Yeah. And it's an incredible shocking. And I, I love to deliver that to college students. So typically I, I deliver that one and I say, Hey, this is compound interest. This is what Albert Einstein deemed the eighth wonder of the world. We're going to get into credit cards and why, if you're not using it, you're being used by somebody else to pay their compound interest. And then the second example, and another one I love, and it's usually like a kind of guessing game of, would you rather at 25, invest $5,000 a year for 10 years, totaling $50,000 investment, or B, would you rather say, I'm going to wait, live up my 20s, enjoy it, and then at 35, I'm going to invest that same $5,000 a year, but I'm going to do it for every year until I retire at 65. So you invest a total of $150,000. Between the $50,000 person and the $150,000 person, who do you think ends up with more at that age 60, 65 retirement? You ask a class and an audience in A or B and just emotionally, you want to be tied to B. They're, they invested three yeah. times more. Why would they end up with less? And the reality is A wins. Even though they invest a third less, having that time horizon, not only creating employees by putting your money to work, but having those employees have time to go out and create their own employees, compounding and time value money really scrapes ahead. So I love it. And I'm super passionate about this. I had my Uber driver this weekend. We had a 20 minute drive and he, I got him to write down his goals and I gave him, I gave him the, the $10 tip. And I was like, here's two days of your, of your latte example. Go get it, man. 
Um, and so where I really start to see people making a change is you first got to understand the concepts. These, these things, compound interest, time value, money, you got to be introduced to them. The second step is then you got to strategize them. I, again, I'm not saying don't ever buy coffee. I'm just saying you understand the opportunity costs now that is associated with it. And then the third piece is being efficient with your money and starting to find little inches here and there where you can make impacts over a long term. And that's why I love the, the acronym USE, use, understand, strategize, and be efficient. We want you to use money because so long we work for money and money uses us that if we are able to flip it, what Rich Dad Poor Dad was flip my mindset to where I seek out ways to use money now. What would you say to this statement by Dan Locke? Dan Locke is going to be on the podcast within a month and he, he would say, he has said, a penny saved is still just a penny. Mm -hmm. You don't have a savings problem. You have an income problem. Do you, so, so he, I don't know that he would necessarily, of course, you know, I, I mean, I see what, uh, you know, what that $5 a day at Starbucks mm -hmm. does, but what would you say to that? I would agree with him and disagree with him. I would agree with him in that a penny saved is still just a penny. Uh, though, if you, you know, look at it through a tax lens, a penny saved is like making two pennies. So that's an interesting perspective to have. Uh, you could also look at it and say your, your problem is not so much income or savings or anything like that. It's, it's understanding what you want to have as an objective, what's your goal and how you're going to get there. And if, if you think income is your problem, I know a lot of millionaires who don't have million dollar bank accounts. Uh, and it's just part of being in the, the higher net worth world. I, I'm continually amazed at somebody who made $700,000 last year and didn't and saved $18,000 in their 401k, $19,000 this year. But that is the reality. And so if you look at it simply as uh, what I can control, which you can't control your income, you can't control the markets, you can't control any of those external factors. If you look at it from what I do control is my cash management system. I, I go through a money buckets course where it's passing through these buckets and filling them up. But if you're telling me it's a penny is not going to be the, the rudimentary factor to give you financial freedom, he's not really comprehending where investing starts. Where, where investing starts is with that first save. If you don't save, you don't have anything to invest. So I would disagree with that notion of saying, a penny saved is the beginning of your financial journey, is the beginning of your opportunity. You now have an opportunity cost with that penny. Do you want to go spend it? That's you looking at money in a day-to-day -day sphere. Do you want to save it up, buy a house, buy a car, go on vacation? That's, you know, in a next year or two mindset. But if you're trying to mastermind and if you're trying to create that master plan, you see money in time as a 10 plus year paradigm. You start to look at it from that kind of distance. And that penny is no longer just a penny. That penny can become a dollar. It just, it's just, it's what time are you working with? And if you are truly the mindset of an investor, you are absolutely looking at ways to create more money. But if you are really understanding and using money, then you are looking at ways to put your money to work instead of for you to go work for more money. This message is definitely resonating 
with the students of Growth Mindset mm-hmm. University. Because after all, this podcast, this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but didn't. And chiefly among them is financial literacy. Mm-hmm. And we're getting that message delivered right here, right now from Jed Collins. Love it, brother. So one of the last questions that I have, one of my final questions, you know, why is it important to have that person on your team, that financial advisor to help guide you? Why can't people just do it on their own and keep more money in their pocket? They absolutely can. Uh, and I would challenge you to go out and learn and get a base education. And I would say for 70%, 70% of individuals should be able to uh, create a plan on their own. They should be able to read a book or two or research enough and get kind of those first 10 steps outwards um, and be able to, yeah, sure, save a little money up front on an advisor. Uh, but I would also kind of warn against the job of an advisor. So part of one of my rookie to veteran principles is finding a gray beard, which when I deliver to corporations, it's gray hair because I don't want to just, you know, to eliminate any, any of the audience. Um, And I understand women don't have beards, so it's a good thing. But uh, so, but finding that person that is going to give you not only direction, but also emotional control as an advisor today, investments is a quarter of our job. Investments is getting commoditized more and more each day. You look at those robo online advisors, they're not doing bad things. I, if you have less than $250,000, I think a robo advisor is phenomenal, phenomenal, because it gives you in the right direction and sets you off on the right path. Though, when you start to have questions around the masterminding and the other aspects of your plan that don't have to do with market returns or allocation examples, then you need somebody that is going to give you real life advice. And they're going to not only protect you from the outside world and the market, but they're also going to protect you from yourself. And, and you you see, you know, kind of the Warren Buffett, Ben Graham kind of examples of the greatest enemy of an investor is himself. And that that holds true. So when you do start to have questions, you always want to get expertise. Now, I explain it as, again, I like working out. So as a workout, if you have the discipline and the fortitude to wake up at 5 and go get a, a lift in at 5.30 every morning and not and be comfortable doing it on your own, then you are in the minority and you can go do it on your own. Now, if you want somebody, if you want to show up and have somebody say, hey, listen, Jordan, we're, we're going to go do this work, this lift, and we're going to go do this lift, and we're going to go get this cardio in, and then I'm going to give you this protein shake at the end, then that's an advisor. That's somebody that you say, hey, I want them to take something off of my plate and give me a little more peace of mind and freedom. Uh, and it's, it's really that simple. If you have the discipline to do it on your own, more power to you. I will send you, you know, a copy of the book and you, you will be able to look at it and say, I know all this stuff, you know, let's keep rolling. And that's, that's the truth. But if we look at the true percentages of financial literacy, most people don't. Most people don't understand. I, my, one of my favorite questions is around taxes. And it's, if you make more taxes, does all your money end up getting taxed more? And I would say 75% of people say yes. They don't understand the progressive tax system and how we are calibrated to each each extra dollar marginal versus effective tax brackets. They don't understand where and how those things are, are associated and working. And if they don't understand that, then they don't understand 
how taxes change depending on where you make it or how you make it or when you make it, how long you hold it. And if you don't, and so I, I do, I, and again, I talk to 18, 20 year olds. I go down through high schools around town and even some middle schools because I love getting this message out. But if you're saying I'm going to save, you know, a couple hundred, a thousand dollars on an advisor, then you don't understand the impact and the alpha that an advisor can bring over a large scale. And if as an advisor, I can save you not only $1,000 in taxes, but make you $1,000 in the market and then protect you from a $100,000 gap in your plan where you didn't have some kind of protection, well, then are you making money or saving money or are you losing money? People can find you on Twitter at JetCons45. You said you, did you say you have a book coming out this summer? We do have a book coming out. I'd also direct you to connecting with me on LinkedIn. So yes. I'm new to the social media game. You are a, an expert at it and doing all these things. Thank you. you. If you didn't, nobody out there will know this, but it took me 45 minutes just to get the, the sign on uh, to talk to George this morning. So I we had technical difficulty. Yeah, technical <laughs> difficulty. But I chose this year as my medium to be LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to do a post today, actually April 1st, April Fools. Uh, it is Financial Literacy Month, so I'm going to do a post today on financial literacy on, on LinkedIn there. I'm challenging myself to branch out and learn some of the other social media platforms, but as of this moment, I got to do you know real job and uh, try to focus on that as well. But this summer, we're going to have, so I ha have a ton of live workshops around it. It's called Teach Me Money. It's the first 10 questions to begin your financial journey. So if Rich Dad, Poor Dad taught us anything of assets and liabilities and what makes you and loses you money, I try to give you the first 10 questions looking from the wheel of finances, from everything from cash management to investment to estate planning to tax planning to uh, insurance planning. I want to give you the first question you should ask in all of these categories down to as a young investor, what is my greatest asset at this time? I could I could tell you the secret, or you can you can get it. It's up to you. But uh, it's it's an <laughs> introduction into vehicles, and again, I want to teach people the world of finance. And I had to back into okay, what would be our baseline? What is our starting ground? And that's what this level one teach me money book is going to be. It's it's truly a workbook. It's truly a, an engaging. Uh, has scenarios and questions that you can individually answer. And so at the end of it, you will have the beginning of that financial plan. I cannot stress how important this is. If you want to secure your financial future, get in touch with Jed. I always say the two of the most important things to learn, uh, in my opinion, are, and they're kind of tied. One is human behavior and communication. Mm. And the other is financial literacy. So important. So I, love, I love this message of yours, Jed, and I have to acknowledge you for sharing this message with people and for taking the initiative on LinkedIn. I think you're absolutely in the right place if that's what you're doing. And for making this transition from football to finance, it's pretty incredible to see. And I absolutely love what you're doing, Jed. I appreciate it. I, I love seeing you, what you're doing, hearing from your other guests, and truly, this growth mindset initiative is what we're all hoping to be. Like you said, pivoting from who you were to what you're going to be, that is all about that growth mindset. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep sharing your message. And uh, I'm just honored to be a part of it now. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Jed, my final question 
is what does life beautifully designed look like to you? Life beautifully designed means I have impact, means my girls understand who their father is and that, you know, although I I love them dearly, I'm guiding them in the right direction. My wife sees me and still enjoys being around me. And my mission is a million students. That impact to me is worth 10 times as much as any kind of dollar amount. I want to go and teach and empower the nation to own their futures. And I think I have the message. And I think uh, with platforms like this and just kind of the hunger of, of the audience today, around 15 to 30 year old people who see this and want to know it more, that impact, I think, is is going to be my ultimate, you know, uh, master plan is saying I, I got a legacy of helping people. And I think that's truly what gives me energy and motivates me today. Jed Collins, teaching people money. You are the man. Thank you so much. I enjoy it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick five-star rating in iTunes. All you have to do is grab your iPhone or iPad, open up the Apple Podcast app, hit the search tab, search the show Growth Mindset University or just search my name, Jordan Paris, tap the show, scroll all the way to the bottom and then just hit that fifth star and that helps us tremendously in ways that you could never even imagine. It means the absolute world to me when people do this. I would be eternally grateful. If you do that, we're pushing 100 ratings right now, and it's really making a difference for this show. And of course, if you've not already subscribed to the show, just make sure you do that wherever you're listening to so that you don't miss that next episode. I know you're not going to want to miss it. And you only heard this episode today because I thought it was valuable enough to post here. So if you want to share that value with your friends, your family, Go ahead and do that. Share this episode with them. Take a screenshot. Send it to them. Take a screenshot. Put it on your Instagram story and tag me at J underscore Paris underscore so that I know you're listening and I can get back to you and put a face to the name. Now, if you're ready to really take your life to the next level, my book is on Amazon. It is also called Growth Mindset University. It's all about how to learn anything, how to take control of your life and how to fulfill your vision of success. And you're not just supporting me and this channel by getting this book, but you're also getting this awesome book that's going to lay out the rules and principles to design your life full of joy and fulfillment. All right, I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn, and grow to give.